Welcome to the Dialogue by Wirepoints, connecting the dots between our economy, government, and people. And now your hosts, Ted Dabrowski and Mark Glennon. Hello, it's Ted Dabrowski here from Wirepoints on the Dialogue Wirepoints podcast, and I'm on with Matt Rosenberg, my colleague who's following a lot of uh, exciting issues these days. And so, uh, like last week, we're going to start with crime. We, we don't mean to start with crime two times in a row, but the issue's not going away. Um, and with what's happening in Chicago in particular, and with no plan in place, and with the leniency that we're treating uh, criminals, we just keep getting more and more bad news. And, um, you know, we, we've gotten some action from Lightfoot, and one of those ideas is to curfew a few young people from a few distinct places, but uh, that's not the kind of thing that people are looking for. And instead, what we're seeing is a crime move, not just from the really bad areas that we've always had them in, that it's been sad, you know, the south and west sides, but it's getting closer and closer to the popular tourist areas. And in fact, it's getting right in them, right, in, right in where people, um, you know, some of the nicer areas. And well, let's just start off with that, Matt. Um, just just real quick before or after we talk about crime, we'll, we'll cover a few other issues. Property taxes being one of the big issues. But uh, first, let's start with with uh, crime, and let's just start with last night. Another mass shooting right in the middle of uh, our nice areas. It's the new normal, Ted, and it's it's tragic and it's ongoing. There was a mass shooting at Chicago and State. I see four things coming out of this. Um, anger management, involvement of teens, whack-a-mole, and the language of futility. I'll quickly explain. Number one, anger management. This was another dispute between people that somehow ended with guns being drawn, people shot, and people killed. Take it back to the root. It's about controlling your temper. Nobody does that anymore in these disputes. Number two, uh, we're all very concerned about teenagers in Chicago. They've been involved in shootings, killings, street mob scenes. Several of the victims last night were teens. This, again, is part of a rolling tragedy. Number three, whack-a-mole. Um, you know, uh, so, you know, wherever you say they can't go, they'll go somewhere else. We're starting to see this. Um, we've had a huge transfer of a lot of crime. Not usually the murders, but other violent crime and property crime from the west side and the south side to the north side. Um, we know this. Lincoln Park, Lakeview, uh, the North Loop, the South Loop are all under siege now with uh, motor vehicle thefts, armed robberies. Um, you know, summer isn't even officially here, but it feels like we're already in a long, hot summer. Lastly, there's what I call the language of futility. Once again, Mayor Lightfoot, in reaction to this mass shooting, says the violence is unacceptable. Well, you know, the time for press availabilities is, is long gone. This goes to a much huger conversation, Ted, uh, about real root causes. We'll get into a little bit of that in a minute. But um, the city is totally in crisis. Uh, Matt, all that's bad news, and uh, people, are being, people are being hurt by it, and Ken Griffin uh, the Citadel founder and Illinois' wealthiest uh, resident has renewed his threats to move away. And, uh, you know, I was quickly reminded that, yeah, he, he can he can threaten. He's he, of course, he would take millions and billions away from this city. But uh, it hurts a lot of people, too. A lot of other people are, are threatening to leave or are leaving, too. 
Well, he's not the only one as well. A gentleman named Michael Jacobson spoke out very recently. He's the head of the Illinois Hotel and Lodging Association. And he said, look, it's starting to become very clear. We're seeing signs from leisure travelers and even convention organizers that they're starting to pull back from Chicago. Um, who can blame them too? So, um, you know, this, this cannot stand and yet it may. You know, we've always said that, uh, you know, violence, you know, we've been saying this at wire points and others that, you know, there's, there's a lot of factors that are hurting Illinois. And we've talked about those a lot, the taxes and the out migration and the corruption. But, uh, there's one thing that I think will push people away the fastest, and that, of course, is violence. Um, so, Matt, you know, you're talking about this crime, and one of our big concerns has been the leniency, the lack of, of uh, or, or not allowing the police to, to be policemen, uh, putting handcuffs on them effectively. So uh, you started looking into some of those things that might be giving, might be empowering some of the criminals. And one of those is arrest rates. You know, what do arrest rates look like? Are, are policemen, you know, are they being more assertive and in, in, in putting uh, criminals behind bars or the opposite? The opposite, sadly, Ted. We use some existing public data and then also some more information from a public records request to Chicago police. And we found out that arrest rates last year were just dismayingly low and have been dropping since 2019. I'll give you four or five quick examples from last year. Uh, the motor vehicle theft arrest rate was 10% in Chicago in 2021. For aggravated battery, it was 11%, robbery 9%. Uh, so you got three things right there hovering at, you know, one out of 10 guys actually get arrested. Uh, I've got two others for you right now. The arrest rate for criminal sexual assault was basically two out of 10. And for burglary, it was 5%. Um, you know, how are you going to, how are you going to disincentivize criminals with arrest rates like that? But we don't want to put this all on police. There are a lot of reasons they don't go forward. And long story short, the environment for being a policeman here and in a lot of other Illinois cities right now is really horrible. Um, they have so many reasons to pull back, to be like that turtle pulling its head into its shell. And that's what's happening. Matt, those numbers are phenomenal. And if, if anybody who studies economics you know, thinks about incentives and disincentives, and if somebody told you that you could go steal a car, and, you know, and if you start first with your economic prospects aren't very good to begin with, right? Let's say you don't have a job. Um, you're, you're, not, you're not in a position to, to earn a lot of money quickly. And then you find out that you can rob a car. Uh, and you have a one, one in 10 chance of, of, uh, of getting caught or 90% chance of getting away with it, uh, the economics start to sound pretty good, especially when you know that police are starting to pull back, especially when you know you might not get prosecuted. Um, I, you know, I, I'm really, really concerned about you know, our, our policemen's ability to, to act and, to, and to, be, to protect people. And I think that's, I, I can't help but think that we're just incentivizing more criminal, you know, criminal activity. 
I think the tone starts at the top and um, people are a little bit leery of a strict law and order approach. That's fine. Couch it. You know, this is a two way street. Improved police accountability is important. And no one should deny that. Uh, there's a history of things that have gone wrong at times uh, with police in terms of, uh, you know, some of their behaviors and, and misdeeds. Um, we have to stick to correcting that. But at the same time, yeah, we have to bring it up on the other end, too. The murder prosecution rate was just 26 percent in 2019 and only 1% better in 2021. So three out of four people who commit a murder in Chicago don't get prosecuted, somewhat more get arrested. But then there's a big problem uh, between the police and the state's attorney's office in a lot of cases that are put forward for prosecution with an arrest don't get prosecuted because the prosecutors uh, decide uh, based on what they're looking at, that the evidence isn't strong enough. Um, whether that's really true in all cases, we wouldn't know. Um, but so we, we've got problems all around. You know, Matt, another thing you found, another finding you, you talked about in another piece you did was about recidivism. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's, it's a really complex question about, you know, crime and punishment. Uh, but what we do know is that... Um, you know, nearly four out of 10 who, uh, who are, who, who have served in the criminal justice system come back and, um, you know, create a crime again. And so um, what were your findings there? Because I think there's some really interesting things there that, uh, that you should highlight. I found there's a big difference between the uh, full-on big picture measure of recidivism, which is a nine-year analysis versus the more common three-year measure. You're correct, Ted, that statewide, uh, it's actually about 38.5% of offenders uh, re-offend. That's according to the State Department of Corrections. But I dug up a report from the Sentencing Policy Advisory Committee of the state of Illinois, and they did a nine-year analysis and found that uh, for imprisoned felons, 62% uh, were sentenced anew uh, on felony charges um, after nine years. And uh, this analysis tends to be hidden. We need a nine-year recidivism rate broken out for every county in Illinois. No such thing exists now. Um, so that's a real issue. All of this came up in the context of me uh, taking a closer look at a popular violence prevention program and a study that some thought showed it worked. When I looked at the fine print, the study authors said the net benefit was zero. Um, that's another story in and of itself. But um, there's a lot of misdirection and misinformation going around from statistics or failure to actually read studies in detail. Um, and the city of Chicago and the office of the mayor and the top administration of the police have a lot to do with some of this misdirection that's going on. There's a belief they can spin their way out of everything. It's inimical. Well, Matt, you know, we're talking about, you know, some of the, some of the tougher on crime, which, which uh, right now it might be an unpopular term, but uh, maybe becomes more popular as you start to see things happen. Uh, in right in the middle of, of uh, important areas. 
Um, but what's being ignored, and it's another really tough subject, is the the other side of of the equation, the root causes. And one of the things you've started to unpack is the the births to unwed mothers. Uh, that, of course, is having a, a massive effect, or has had a massive effect, and and it's because the numbers are uh, amazing or shocking, depending on what 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 path you want to take. So, uh, you know, unwrap that a little bit. I dug in and uh, got some information from the Illinois Department of Public Health. I was curious because there's a, uh, a fairly extensive body of uh, social science research showing that there are great disadvantages for children born to unmarried mothers. It's, it's, it's a lightning rod topic. I, I, I realize uh, some people who bring it up will be accused of being racist but it's nothing like that. Let's find out what works and what doesn't work has been my, my guiding philosophy here. So what we learned is that uh, since 1998, out of every 10 black births in Chicago has been to unmarried mothers. Um, at the same time, we see, uh, especially in the last three years, uh, uh, growing violent crime, uh, murders rising high, carjackings, shootings. Um, so you really got to step back. Um, we also looked at uh, the rate of uh, births to unmarried mothers by race in 19 other of the largest Illinois cities, and we saw similar patterns. So there's something going on here, particularly as we see violent crime increasing in other Illinois cities like Decatur, Rockford, Aurora. Um, I'm looking at Peoria data now, getting set to analyze it. Um, there's something going on here, and what it is is becoming clear. There's a divide, I think. You know, on the one hand, we have execute, execute, do the blocking and tackling. In other words, Police must make more arrests. They must be allowed to feel comfortable doing their jobs. After arrests, obviously, we need to see prosecutions, not so many dropped cases. Then we need to see convictions. And finally, sentences which deter, and that's uh, a side aspect of my recidivism inquiry. I'll make this snappy, Ted. Uh, you know, if, if uh, 62% of freed imprisoned felons are reoffending. That could mean two things. One is um, that the imprisonment approach does not work as a deterrent. Number two, it could mean that um, we're not uh, sentencing them strictly enough. I don't know the answer right now. I think we need more data. But, um, you know, we really have to take a closer look at all of this stuff. Yeah, Matt, you know, and, and I think it's going to be more and more of your work, I think, is going to come out, and you've done a lot of it already in your book. But uh, so much of this has to do with the root causes. You know, how do we fix education? Uh, you know, and of course, we're big proponents of school choice. You know, how do we how do we create more economic opportunity? How do we create more opportunities in the trades? Uh, there's a lot that needs to be done, and I think that's why we're bringing up the, um, you know, the, the un, unwed births, because uh, as you mentioned, you know, it doesn't matter what side of the the the, um, the political spectrum you're on. I think it's I think it's overwhelming agreement that if if you're born without a parent, if you have a single parent uh, born without a father, you are going to struggle in life economically, 
education-wise, um, and you know, poverty, all those things. So, uh, we'll we'll get to that more and more. In, indeed, we will. And and just to summarize and close out on that, some of the research that we put in our story this past week from top researchers at uh, UCLA and University of Pennsylvania are that uh, educational, behavioral, and employment outcomes suffer for kids born to unmarried mothers, particularly for black boys in low-income neighborhoods without fathers present. Um, also that children born out of wedlock do worse on a wide range of outcomes. They get less education, earn less income, have lower occupational status. Uh, and for girls uh, born to unmarried mothers, they're more likely to have non-marital births themselves. It just goes on and on. And we're not talking about the one or two studies I'm citing here. There's a mountain of this research and we'll be getting deeper into it soon. So this is a serious problem and to try and sweep it away uh, under the rubric of forbidden thought and forbidden words is a huge, huge mistake. No one will touch this, we're touching it. And so Ted, obviously crime continues to be a huge concern for people on the South side and the West side. We know so many black people say we want better police we also want more police, but that's not the only thing of concern to the black population that remains in Chicago, nor to the Latino and Asian populations. Taxes are a huge, huge issue. And I know that lately uh, you and uh, John Kligner have dug deeply into some of what makes Illinois such a tough place to live economically. Uh, why don't you tell us uh, some of what you've uh, pulled together recently? Yeah, you know, and tying that back to your discussion, uh, we were we we're on with WVON uh, the other day, and of course, WVON covers south, you know, a lot of the South Cook and Chicago area, um, you know, the, the largely the Black community, and as you say, as you say, Matt, you know, crime is a massive thing, but uh, also, you know, they think about what they pay for those services, and uh, if you start to look in Illinois, you have to pay some of the highest property taxes in the country here in Illinois. And if you're not getting the services, primarily the one that is the most important, which is you know your safety. Number two might be um, getting the trash picked up. Uh, those are the things that people care about. And so you know at Wirepoints we decided to give a, a look, a relook because we've talked about this a lot. And um, we went back 30 years to look at how property tax bills, the average property tax bill, has been growing, and we've compared that to um, average incomes, average household incomes. What have what has one done versus the other? And you will see that the property tax bills have just taken off since 1990 uh, compared to incomes. They've grown two times more than incomes. And so unsurprisingly, more and more of people's incomes, more and more of their, of their money from their wallets is having to go to pay taxes to the point now where we all know this by now, where Illinois has the highest property taxes in the country. Um, and what we're seeing there is that uh, you know, when you take your, your property tax bill as a share of your home value, uh, we're paying two times more than the people in, the, in Indiana. We're paying two times more than uh, or three times more than the people in Kentucky. You know, is that right? Does it make sense? Do we get the services that come with that? And, and the answer is an, an obvious no. Um, and, you know, and there's another nasty effect of these taxes in, in that they suppress home values. 
you're seeing around the country, and you've seen it for the last you know 20 years or so, a lot of people's homes have gone up in value. And that's where most people have their nest eggs. They have you know, a majority of their, their, their net worth in their home value. Well, here in Illinois, when you adjust for inflation, our home values over the last 20 years have, inc have increased just 3%. We're the third worst in the country for home appreciation. Uh, in, in other parts of the country, including our neighboring states, their home values go up. So their nest eggs have grown. They've got more equity in their home. They feel a little bit more wealthy. Uh, and, and one of the big reasons why we suffer is because our property taxes are high. And everybody knows that everything else equal, the bigger the property tax, the lower home values, because people can't afford to pay more for a home. They've got, they got to save the money to put to taxes. So, um, you know, this, this whole property tax pain is tremendous. And, you know, it's kind of funny, but before this crime went out of control uh, and, and it's made it a, a daily issue in the press, you know, property taxes was one of the biggest issues in Illinois, and it's 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 sad that um, it's sad, and it may may be appropriate, right? When people are dying in the streets, that's that's more important in the short term. But it's amazing how something like so painful, so punitive, like these high property taxes and and our you know poor home value appreciation, um, that's just been put put aside to the wayside. You know, even though you know people are struggling with it on a day to day basis, they got to pay the bills. How do you apportion the causation for politicians continuing to raise taxes in Illinois? I'm guessing you're going to say that some of it is due to outsized pension obligations in the future. But I wonder about other factors like this sort of belief in the therapeutic state, you know, that we need to keep spending on programs to prevent violence. We need to spend more in the schools, et cetera. What's your own view on how causation shakes out well certainly for the for the things you just mentioned like programs programs and all that most of that will be done at the state level um because you know you can you can raise income taxes across the state and then fund programs you know when we when we talk about property taxes we're usually talking about local costs uh even though many of those local costs are are forced on local governments by the state government like pensions uh, the, the big issue, the big issue, and this is this is the this is the crux of it all, is that when you look at local taxes, property taxes, well, that's largely driven by schools, your school districts. About two thirds of your property tax bill are for your schools, and then you got police and fire and your municipal. So you're talking about government workers and government um, spending on things like roads and things like that. Um, the big issue is that in Illinois, we have created a system that gives so much power to the unions, to those government employees, uh, through the collective bargaining laws that are passed at the state level, that, that, Matt, it's become relatively easy for them to push for more, and the property taxes just get hiked. And, you know, there's, there's no clear, you know, it'd be one thing if, if uh, local governments had to have a referendum every year to raise taxes. It would be a lot harder. But we've made it relatively easy for local governments to raise by at least inflation every year, uh, if not more. And so as these unions gain more power, they have some of the strongest collective bargaining powers in the country. They can strike. And we've seen that happen in Chicago over and over again. If they're not getting what they want, they strike. Uh, you know, police and fire in Illinois, if they don't get what they want, they can call for an independent arbitrator, uh, unelected independent arbitrator. They can force arbitration. 
and oftentimes they get what they want. So, um, you know, ordinary people don't have powers. Ordinary people don't have, uh, you know, a four-year uh, employment contract with guaranteed raises and guaranteed benefits and guaranteed pensions. But that's what all, all of our local workers do. And as those costs go up, our property taxes just keep going up, no matter whether incomes are growing or not. And that's what we've seen. We've seen these, uh, these costs just far outpace incomes. One other area where we're seeing uh, increased uh, questionable expenditures has to do with unemployment insurance, Ted. And you've recently done some reporting on fraud. Uh, again, I would hazard to guess in the state unemployment security system. Can you tell us a little bit about what you've found most recently? Yeah, this is a critique of, uh, again, our, our, our state government. Of course, it's a critique of, of the national government as well. Um, you know, the forced lockdowns by the government created massive unemployment, you know, to the levels that we haven't seen since uh, since way back when. <clears throat> and so when we had all this unemployment, well, uh, of course, the government promised unemployment checks. And so that opened up a massive opportunity for many people to defraud the system. And at this stage, you know, the federal government isn't quite sure how much fraud we've had. Uh, in unemployment insurance claims. And Mark, Mark our colleague Mark, wrote, wrote about this piece. He, he researched it. And basically, uh, you know, there's some estimates. And the number's phenomenal, although I guess it's getting harder and harder to talk about big numbers the, the way we keep printing money at, at the federal level. But there might be as much as $400 billion in, in wrongly paid out insur you know, unemployment insurance claims in the whole country. You know, out of the whole, out of the eight hundred billion that was pay, paid out, like it maybe even half. Uh, so the numbers are massive. The official estimate that's out there is one hundred and sixty-three billion, uh, reported by the Department of Labor. And our share of that would be about six and a half billion in Illinois if if, if the number is one hundred and sixty-three billion. That in itself is massive. The problem is we've gone to the government. Um, many newspapers have gone to the government. Lawmakers are going to to the state government saying, "Can you tell us what?" the size of our fraud is and, and what's happened. And we are getting crickets from the state government. We don't know. And that's after all the failure. If you'll recall back during COVID, you know, everybody trying to reach the unemployment insurance office, people trying to figure out if they're ever going to get their checks. It was, it was a big mess. And now to, to plop fraud on top of that is, uh, is really uh, a sad statement on, on our state government. So what are people to do about all of these things? It seems like perpetually folks are just trying to get by, you know, go to work if they're working, um, pay the mortgage, pay their taxes, uh, raise their children properly. And most people do. Um, things just keep spiraling ever uh, downward in Illinois. And uh, we hear from so many people, as you know, in the comments uh, on our articles at WirePoints is like, put a fork in it. Illinois is done. Yet here we are and uh, still about, uh, what, 12.8 million people still calling Illinois home. So there's something going on here uh, that's keeping people here. Is it habit? hope or some combination of both what's your take ted well matt you know there's a lot of history right we got a lot of history here it's a great state we've talked about it a lot you know i can't remember if i talked about it recently but you know you'd be most states would would love to be illinois that state that's smack in the middle of the country 
fresh water, right? Lake Michigan, and we know fresh water is going to become so important in the future. You're the transportation hub of the country. You've got, of course, O'Hare. Uh, you've got great uh, educational institutions. You've got the soil. Uh, you've got a lot of smart people. You've got all the history. You've got all the tradition. Um, we should be a top 10 state, a top five state for growth and for innovation and for, you know, for, for good old American pride. Uh, and right now we're not. But I think people are hanging on to that. There's, you know, there, there's an argument that can be made that we can regain that one day, but uh, it's going to take a little bit of work. But this, there's no reason with, with the proper politics, you know, and, and uh, you know, people, people have laughed, but we need, we need some of the, the politics of maybe the South or maybe of Indiana, maybe of Florida, maybe of Texas, with some of those politics where we invite people in, we invite companies in. We can grow again. And so I think a lot of people hang on to, to the hope that this is a, a great state. And, you know, and I, and I also say, you know, you can escape Illinois, but we've got some of the similar problems across the country. So uh, um, this is a good place to, to push back and, and, you know, regain our state. To be continued. Thank you, Ted. Well, uh, Matt, thanks. And uh, that's, that's it for today. And uh, please uh, look for us next week on The Dialogue. <laughs>